Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. Really means a lot and it's great to have you along for a bit of F1 discussion and debate. And we have entered another interlope period now following on from the Italian Grand Prix where Max Verstappen made history becoming the first driver in Formula 1 history to win 10 consecutive races. Of course his team being the first team to win 15 races in a row. So In this dominant period, a lot is going on. But one topic of discussion I feel that is rather relevant and perhaps a little bit more positive, if you like, compared to to where it would have been a week or two ago if we'd have done this episode. And that is on Ferrari, a team that there were high aspirations, high potential for this to be the year where they could make a championship challenge last to the end of the season and maybe come out with a top honours. This season couldn't have been further from those aspirations and of course to dissect everything that has happened this year at Ferrari and the potential for their 2024 car which could be very very critical if they want to win a championship before 2026 we have got joining us F1 journalist Sam Cooper. Sam first of all thanks for coming back on the show again quite a regular almost uh, in the host capacity you're on so much these days but it's always brilliant to have you along how have you been? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, really well. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Well, as always, it's great to have you along. And I think whilst the subject of Ferrari is definitely an interesting one to get stuck into and talk about what's gone wrong there and obviously why there is hope or light at the end of the tunnel, how much light there is, we'll obviously have to debate that. Um, The news came out uh, just yesterday at the point of recording this episode from the FIA that the cost cap certificates of compliance have been issued and all 10 teams this season are compliant within the cost cap. Of course, last season uh, we had the controversy regarding Red Bull being above the cost cap. Of course, Aston Martin and Williams having separate breaches of water as well. So first things first, what is your immediate reaction to that news, Sam? Are you surprised that all 10 teams have been compliant? 
Uh, I wouldn't necessarily surprise. I think there were a lot of rumours about various teams breaching it and whatever. But um, yeah, I was always sort of of the mind to sort of wait to see what happens really. Like the Red Bull rumours last year were so strong, like everyone was talking about, you sort of got an idea that they were possibly true. Whereas this year it's sort of been stabs in the dark really. So I think a lot of the teams, and especially probably the FIA, just breathing a sigh of relief that they can just let this go, let this pass now, Let there won't be any more. Christian Horner press conferences where he's looking quite moody talking about their cost cap like that's all in the past like they've all done it kind of thing like we can carry on with the racing hopefully so yeah I think a lot of the teams will be pleased I'm sure there'll be people who sort of miss the drama I'm sure that when there were reports that Mercedes were one of the ones that potentially broke it I think maybe some Red Bull fans probably quite excited to see that happen but it didn't happen that way and I think at least we're not talking about various facts and figures now at this point of the year. And like no one's mentioned catering as much as they had did, did at this point last year. So yeah, I think it's a good thing for everyone in the paddock really. That this has sort of got the green light and sort of move on with the season now. Exactly. I mean, you know, as you get older as an F1 fan, you start to appreciate and enjoy the political aspect of the sport a little bit more with certain nuance, of course. Um, over the last few years, I think you'll agree, Sam, that it's uh, created a lot of work for journalists like yourself, but also perhaps a, a bit of tension in a sport where we'd rather do without, quite frankly. We're more interested in seeing the cars go fast and talking about the racing rather than all of the accounting stuff and the legal aspects and the political uh, complications and consequences of another breach of the cost cap like if we'd have seen this season for example with Red Bull what that could have entailed in terms of a punishment yeah I think everyone at this point last year had a county degree suddenly made out of thin air as we all tried to work out how much of a breach Red Bull made and what what, what a tax cut like benefit what that should be classed as so it's nice that we can probably talk about a subject that we're a bit more familiar with yeah like you said I enjoy the political side of it as much as anyone like and I think this has been like quite like a particularly quiet year for those kind of things really like there's not been huge topics this season like so maybe a cost cap thing could have helped but personally I'm sort of of the mind that it's a good thing that the teams have done this because I think it just was quite messy last year it's, it's obviously had its influences on this year people still say whether the Red Bull penalty is fair or not or whether it's too lenient like that's just rumbled on for over a year now like it's nice that at least next year we can say that all these cars are in compliance kind of thing. But yeah, I'm sure there's some people who, who I mean, if I was the Netflix director, I probably would have hoped for a bit more drama than there is, but I guess they have to rely on Felipe Massa now to provide the necessary drama that we're missing this year. Yeah, I've kind of zoned in and out of that particular legal case. Um, I mean, you know, people watching this on YouTube will see the shirt and think, oh, surely you'll be hoping that the championship will be overturned in his favour, you know, a championship for Ferrari. And it's like, do you know what? It, it's just so ridiculous. If there is an element of truth to Massa's legal case where, you know, the late Max Mosley and Bernie Eccleston were... Uh, complicit of hiding information that they were aware of at the time, which could have had an impact on the 2008 World Championship, then of course, you know, the, the punishment needs to be sent their way to put it, for putting the sport into disrepute. You can't just overturn a World Championship like that. It's a bit crazy. Um, I mean, it starts there. Where are we going to end? It will open up all kinds of cases and, and red tape and everything else. We don't really want that. So I'm glad as far as the budget cap situation is concerned, it's starting to have an effect and a positive one as well. Because I think based on what we've seen this season, with the exception of Red Bull being utterly dominant at unprecedented levels, and of course you have to take your hat off for them, that they've been able to do that whilst being compliant with those regulations in that regard. I think the cost cap 
and the ATR regulations combined have closed the field up and has created more exciting racing. Uh, if you know where to look, of course, uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys and say that it's created a more exciting championship because it hasn't. But outside of who's winning it, it's actually been pretty good. Yeah, I think if you like you said, if you ignore the that P1 spot, it's been a really tight, tight season. Like, well, I think what most interesting to me is that these teams all sort of seem to go through periods where they're doing really well. Like, obviously, Aston Martin started really strongly. Mercedes had a bit of a go around Canada. McLaren were really strong after Austria. And then sort of, yeah, you could even say Ferrari was strong at Monza, obviously. Like, there's been so much variation in where teams are doing well. And, like, I think more than we've seen for a long time, like, teams are so dependent on the circuit, like, to fit their characteristics. We sort of know now where an Aston Martin car is going to be good and where a McLaren car is going to be good and sort of you can predict where they might be good going ahead. But yeah, I think that Red Bull is just unique. And I think the fact, I mean, it's not even just Red Bull. It's just Verstappen, isn't it? Like Perez himself has had some ups and downs. Like if it was just Perez, like it would have been an exciting title charge on at least. But yeah, it's just been the combination of such a good car and such a good driver that that P1 spot is just out of the question for everyone. But if you're looking for exciting racing, I mean, there is competition all down the grid. Like, yes, we've got the Mercedes, the Ferraris, the people like that sort of battling for P2, but you move down a bit. Like, where are Alpine going to finish? They're another team that have massive highs and massive lows. Like, And then you've got those bottom half of the teams all sort of scrapping for those last points paying, points paying places, which is not easy to say. But yeah, you see how um, Alex Albon's result of the weekend has such a big influence on on their season so yeah i mean there's excitement around you just got like you said you've got to know where to look for it really exactly and i know a lot of people listening to this show will be disappointed once again that we're trying to put a positive spin on everything despite the fact that people aren't enjoying things at the moment because red bull and max are so dominant that's understandable and and, and people are fine to have that opinion if they want to i think realistically speaking you know, we've been talking about the positive uh, influence that this cost cap and the ATR regs have had in the short term. But I think anyone who understands certain nuance about Formula One and how things seem to work in the background will know that it's more likely that we're going to get the outcome perhaps that we all want around 2026 time when we have a new regulation reset. And, you know, these these cost cap and ATR regs have been in place for some time, which prevent the bigger teams from stretching their margin. And reality is we just need a bit more time for the infrastructure element where the smaller teams are still lacking. And, and Aston Martin's a prime example of this and where they're making progress. That's where the gap's going to be closed. It will take some time, but it's certainly not going to happen overnight. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think you can't expect these regulations to be introduced immediately and everyone's sort of the same. I think, I can't remember if there was, I think it was either Turtle Wolf or maybe Gunstein who made this comparison that, it's sort of like a 100-meter race where these big teams have already had such an advantage. They're starting pra- practically halfway down the track. Like, it's going to take time for them to all bunch up, really. Like, maybe not 100 meters, probably not the best example for that because it's over quite quickly, but maybe like a 10, 10K or something like that. Like, eventually they will get closer. And I think we have seen that, like, over the years. Like, last year, it was very much Red Bull and uh, Ferrari at times and Mercedes slightly towards the end of the last year. But... Now we're seeing a lot more variation in who finished on the podium. Like, don't forget that in 2022, it was just Lando Norris who was the only Red Bull, non Red Bull Ferrari or Mercedes driver to end on the podium. Now we've already had both Alpine drivers. Like, we could get the other McLaren driver. Like, there is a lot of variation. And, like you said, I think it is just going to take a bit more time to sort of squeeze up. I think maybe next year there'll be a bit more competition. I think Christian Horner sort of alluded to that. Like, how much of that is him bluffing or whatever? But yeah, I think. 
as the years go on and like the more teams sort of work out what the best way to do these regulations are, then yeah, I think that grid will get even tighter and hopefully we'll have like a 2021-esque season every year. I mean, that, that'd be quite the arse, but if we get anywhere near that, then that'd be good for the fans. Absolutely. And I think for some of the newer fans in the sport that would have come in and watched F1 for the first time in 2021 at some point, obviously will be completely blindsided or confused by the fact that this is actually more normal, what we're seeing right now, than what we saw in 2021 by contrast. But hopefully that will change and we will get more seasons like 2021. Hopefully social media will be better prepared and a bit more mature at handling it than they did in comparison. But of course, you know, you're always going to find drama if you know where to look. Now, moving on, of course, to the main topic of discussion with Ferrari. And in a way, I, I think there is a bit more of a positive spin on this after what we saw at Monza. Although, of course, there are caveats in place because Ferrari brought specific upgrades that were tailored for Monza only, where they wanted to get the best performance they possibly could. And it put them in the picture to fight for the race win, albeit it did seem inevitable that Red Bull would get them. But they were certainly making a good fight of it with Max Verstappen but of course overall throughout this season there have been a lot of issues with Ferrari mostly the inconsistencies with the car drivers not exactly always been on top of their game the poor communication between what's going on behind the scenes and what the drivers are saying to the media Um, and ultimately the, the disappointment I think from this season that Ferrari even though the second half of last season they did fall away there was renewed hope that they might be able to get this right persist with this concept and put together a championship challenge um better than they would have done last season and and in reality that has not been anywhere near close to being a reality so sam first things first uh you know we've got to talk about the issues with the sf23 in particular why in your opinion is it no longer a title contender i mean has it made any tangible progress in your mind it probably has, but I think the in comparison to all the other teams and especially Red Bull, like that marginal improvement doesn't look that big. Like Red Bull have obviously even improved on their car so much. Like Mercedes have caught up after they changed their B spec car. Aston Martin's obviously done a huge leap, as has McLaren. So like Ferrari may have made progress from this time last year, but like it was so small, so relatively small that it looks like they've sort of taken a step backwards just because other teams have caught up. And I think that's probably their main frustration is, yes, they had a really good season last year. Like, they started off so well. Like, their car was definitely the quickest one until we got to Imola. And then they sort of just really stalled on that point. I think they I think they just sort of naturally ran to the end of where they could take this car, like, in the way they had it. Like, I think Fred Fassur has admitted, like, next year's car is going to be quite radically different. Like, they're going to do a lot of big changes to sort of not maybe make it like more like Red Bulls, but I think they've sort of found the development choices they've made have sort of hit a brick wall and they, there's no there's not much further they can go. And I think they're not the only team to do that. Aston Martin, if speaking speaking recently, like they admit they made a wrong development choice and they've sort of had to reel it back in. And I think that's just number Ferrari. They sort of hit a dead end where this car is probably as good as it's going to be. Next year's car is going to have to be a lot different. And like, in a previous cost, if in an era without a cost cap, they could have maybe got this car ready for this year, but that's just not possible in, in under a cost cap. Like they've got to focus on next year. And I've, I was mentioning earlier how some teams have sort of had their moment in the sun. So like you can go back and obviously, like I said, like Aston Martin and Mercedes and McLaren. Whereas I don't feel like Ferrari have ever really like had their moment in the sun. I know the Italian Grand Prix was obviously a good result for them. They got the pole and then they, they got the P3. 
but there's not been like a sustained run of races where you think they they arguably the second best car and i think like you mentioned mons is a very specific circuit i think spa is the only one that's vaguely similar like singapore next is a completely different challenge and like can you honestly say this ferrari car is going to be quick there so yeah i think that's probably just a frustration that they sort of for, for ferrari fans they probably see themselves as going backwards and i think they're one of the teams that have sort of admitted admitted defeat for this year like i can't imagine they're too fussed about getting p2 like if you're ferrari you want to win it and you or you don't care where you come really and like maybe coming p3 also gives them that benefit of added wind tunnel time but yeah i think there's just a lot of problems with ferrari at the moment they sort of need to work it out and like basically have a, a clean slate going into next year yeah i agree because um it's it's interesting with ferrari because you're in this position right now where we back off you know off the back of last season from the second half ferrari no longer had a championship winning car or at least could compete for a championship at that point despite it's such a positive start in 2023 ferrari persisted with this concept you know that they stuck with it obviously there was change at the helm with matti bonotto already admitting before he was out the door that this concept was you know reaching its ceiling that perhaps they'd gone wrong in terms of their architectural design of this car and Fred Vasseur had come in. Obviously, he would have been aware, well aware of these issues. Um, you know, if anyone based off what he was saying to the media only, people would be convinced in thinking that Ferrari are going to persist with this concept. But I think that wasn't necessarily um, out of choice. I think that was just a position they were in, enforced by the cost cap, as you mentioned, Sam, the likes of Aston Martin recognising early on that, you know, that they needed to go down the Red Bull route. That's why they started this season as the best car of the rest. McLaren recognised halfway through their development that they were going wrong. They changed their car and now they are one of the leading teams again. Mercedes, of course, also made this admission a little bit later on. Ferrari have only just come to that realisation and it's going to require them to put a lot of work together to try and catch up, not only in terms of the concept idea to those existing teams, but to try and make a dent on what Red Bull have already done all right now. And look, whilst I'm relatively confident that Ferrari are capable of that, there have been a lot of signs um, in the past or in recent history that Ferrari can put these ideas together, but when it terms to actually producing something... The only real time they actually produce a car capable of being able to win races or win championships is usually at the beginning of a new rule cycle, not necessarily halfway through it. Yeah, you're right. They're not the best developers in the world. And like also when we talk about Ferrari, like we can't just ignore the amount of staff that have left their their company in the last few months or the last few years. Like there's people gone to McLaren, there's people gone to Avatar, obviously. Like and at the moment, I I was actually in a media call with Fred Vassil before I think it was Zanville before Zanville and he was saying there are some names on the way but they're still sort of being agreed and like as we know with other people like even if you agree a deal like they often have very long gardening leaves like so they won't be ready till next year so like do they have the team currently to sort of build this new car like maybe they do but at the same time they've lost a lot of key people and like they their expertise would have helped building this a new car so yeah like I think they have their issues and I think like you said, they need to start off well in a season because they're typically not a, a car that develops well for the year. I think Mercedes is sort of the opposite. I f sort of see them as like a very good team at developing a car. Whereas, like you say, if Ferrari don't have an advantage at the start of the year, they're probably not going to have one at any point of the year. So, yeah, like I think just all the focus now for them is on 2024 and like making sure they really hit the ground running, making sure that car is as best as it can be, really. So in terms of the 2023 car, people will ask the question, why has Ferrari 
come up so short in 2023. What has been the biggest issue, in your opinion, with Ferrari's 2023 car? Ooh, um, if I did, if I knew that, I'd probably work at Ferrari. But um, I think it's just it's not a car that excels in any area. So, like, what I mean by that is sort of when we look at sort of parts of a track, like. I think if we look at low speed corners, we all know that Aston Martin is one of the quickest. Like if we look at straights, we know that Williams is one of the quickest. And we look at McLaren, we know that they're very good at high speed circuits. Like all these cars, you can sort of pick out an area where they're the best at. And like, I think what makes the Red Bull good is obviously it's very high in all of those areas. And that's sort of why it's so able to compete as it does. But the Ferrari car, I mean, you look at it and I couldn't tell you what circuit it would do well at. Like, Yes, it did well at Monza, but like it had issues at Spa kind of thing. Like, There's not been a place where you can point to the Ferrari car and be like, that's really good for this kind of track. And I think in this kind of season where we've seen teams have really good performance in certain areas, like Ferrari not having that, it means they're often, sometimes they'll, they'll be P3 like they were in Monza, but other times they'll be like sixth and seventh and that's just their ceiling. Like, I couldn't tell you why it's been like that. I mean, maybe they sort of developed wrong and like they didn't, make as much improvements as they like as they would have hoped to but yeah i think if i look at the ferrari car it's just i struggle to find out what it's good at compared to the other ones where i can sort of point to any car on the grid and be like this is where this is good like especially among the top contenders i think in a word it's basically inconsistency um and no i i absolutely agree with you i mean from what we've seen from ferrari this year if if i had to really if i was really pushed to pinpoint what ferrari is good at i think that monza they pretty much showed everything that car is good at it's very good in a straight line um obviously not as good as the red bull but the specific upgrades and setup that they brought made it approximately seven kilometers an hour faster without the use of drs of course and you know in a way that was very clever from ferrari because that did force red bull into a position where if they went a different way on setup, it may have proven almost impossible for even them to beat Ferrari on the day. But as it were, of course, they went with a different set. I think they went with the um, uh, the Max style setup, which uh, sorry, not the Max style setup, the Checo one, which made it faster in the straights, um, not necessarily in the corners. Because if they went with the the, uh, the high downforce setup, um, even though Monza's a low downforce circuit, they they might not have had the straight line speed to overtake the Ferrari. So. Um, you know, Ferrari were very, very good in that regard. Um, it is quite good at slow speed corners, although the really slow speed corners, especially when it has to ride over the curbs. And I think we saw that at Ferrari where it was quite mighty, especially Carlos Sainz um, getting pole position with that mighty middle sector where he rode over the second chicane brilliantly and bought him like a quarter of a second on Leclerc and Verstappen by comparison. So in terms of strengths, Ferrari are pretty good in those elements. But overall, you're absolutely right, Sam. Inconsistency is the biggest problem for Ferrari. And it's not necessarily qualifying performance versus the, the race performance. That has been something that has been quite obvious with Ferrari since 2022, for example, where they've had a better car over one lap than the race. But it's some of the other aspects of the car where, for example, you know, it, it can be inconsistent throughout the weekend, whereas on Friday it might look good, on Sunday it might look terrible or vice versa, although it's more the former than the latter. And then there's the other element, which is the drivers have more often complained about, and that's the fact that they expect the car to be competitive at certain circuits, and then it's not. You know, prime example, I think Hungary and Zambor, great examples where Ferrari expected to be quite competitive, 
And they were absolutely nowhere in either of those races. I think in Zandvoort, Carlos Sainz admittedly said he had the sixth fastest car and he managed to somehow get it in the top five. And quite frankly, I think that was probably one of the best performances he's put in this season because I don't disagree with that. Um, and, and that's been where Ferrari have had a lot of issues. And then, of course, we've got the... the um, the opinion of uh, Enrico Cardile, the most senior technical figure within the team. I think he's technical director now. I think Ferrari recently promoted him to that role. And he's given the line at the moment where he feels that the car is consistent throughout the course of the weekend, which was a different issue altogether when trying to respond to what Carlos Sainz was saying. So it's not just the car that's inconsistent. It's also the line of communication from the team and the drivers as well. Yeah, there just seems to be a lot of confusion about the team. Like, no one's quite sure. Like you said, no one's sure where the car's good at. Like, there's some people, like the drivers are saying one thing, and like you said, the senior staff are saying another, and that just doesn't create a good work environment, does it? Like, you sort of feel like you're pulling in different directions and, like, you're not going to get to that common goal. So, like, yeah, there's much to be talk about performance. Like, you can't have a good car if you don't understand it. Like, you need... You need to know where it's good at. I think you could ask any team on the grid, like, which race do you expect to do well at? And they'll be like, this one, this one, this one, for these reasons. And, like, you ask Ferrari that, and they'll be like, not a clue. Like, <laughs> we might be good at this, but then we might be good on the Friday, like you say, and then on the Sunday it's a different story. So I don't know why there's such a big disparity between where they think they're good and where they are actually good. Maybe it's something to do with their wind tunnel. Maybe it's something to do with their factory not producing such reliable results. And, like that's obviously not going to help the team moving forward. So, yeah, they sort of need to find out why this data they're getting from Marinello isn't lining up to what's actually happening on the circuit. And once they fix that, maybe then they can start finding out what's wrong with it and sort of pulling it towards being better. But, yeah, like you said, at the moment, like it seems like everyone's pointing fingers and be like, that's fine, that's fine, that's wrong, that's wrong. And no one's really sure how do we fix this. Yeah, I mean, as a journalist, what, what have you made of the communication uh, from Ferrari across the board? Because from, from my perspective, I, and I wanted to pinpoint the comments that Carlos Sainz made after Zandvoort saying that, you know, the car is inconsistent in places where we expected it to be good and it turns out that it's not. And then Enrico Cardillo was was actually given those comments that Sainz had made, asked to comment on those, and then he completely answers a com- and makes a completely different point altogether where he says the car is actually consistent across the board all weekend. You know, it's two different points, but it's not really addressing the bane of the problem. It, uh, well, what's your opinion of that communication from Ferrari? Has it been equally as confusing in your mind? Yeah, I think it is. I think that tends to be a trait of Ferrari is this sort of not much reason behind the rhyme, really. Like, they, they do make a lot of confusing decisions. And I think if you sort of took that situation at a different team, I mean, we saw it like with Hamilton, he obviously complained about the Mercedes a lot. And I think the Mercedes staff addressed that and they said, okay, like this is why this is happening. Like we're going to try and fix it. Whereas Ferrari's attitude has sort of been, I don't know what the reason behind this was, but like, like you said, like Sainz said something and they almost sort of dismissed it. Like, no, that's not true. And like, we can all see it is true kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know why they've done that. Maybe they're trying to protect the people who built it or whatever, but like it does seem very jarring in comparison to the other teams and sort of the way they deal with it. And I mean, I'd be interested to see if someone like, if you took either Toto Wolff or Christian Horner and put them in that Ferrari team, like are they able to make it into a successful team or is there something like inherently wrong with Ferrari from the upper management that makes it impossible to have a joined up and like lined up operation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we can talk about the internal politics of Ferrari all day long. I mean, that deserves its own separate podcast episode or even series for that matter. 
But the line from Ferrari is never seems to be consistent uh, between the team, the drivers and the senior management. And for me, that is quite concerning because if we're not all aligned on the same path and same direction on where this car needs to improve or what they're doing about it, then obviously it's going to create problems going forward. Because if the if someone like Enrico Cardile is dismissing the driver feedback um, at face value and then answers the question in a completely different way with a different point altogether... For me, that's, that's a red flag right there because the drivers provide the feedback. You take that feedback to understand the car better. And if you're not aligned in what that feedback and what's required, you're never going to produce a car that's going to address those issues. Or at the very minimum, you're never going to have a car that's balanced enough to get the most out of the drivers that are currently driving it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, let's not forget the drivers are the one that are driving it. So their opinion is equally, if not more important than the ones back at the factory. Like, if Carlos isn't happy with a car, like he's not going to get the best out of it. So yeah, I think they could do with listening to their drivers a bit more. Like they're, they're the ones in the car. Yes. You get all the data back in the garage or whatever, but like there is a, there is something to be said about just having that little bit extra from a, being the actual driver and sort of working out what's wrong with the car. So yeah, I think they all just need to have a big meeting and sort of discuss what's going on, like how they can properly fix it. I mean, does that surprise you to hear that sometimes, not just from Ferrari, but also, you know, the rhetoric that we heard going back and forth between Hamilton and Mercedes related to the issues with uh, the W14 and beyond, given how, yeah, given as someone as, as important as Lewis Hamilton, you want to be on his uh, every whim, I suppose, with the car in terms of what he requires from it to get the most out of it. And then it's no surprise that Red Bull are catering to what Max Verstappen wants out of this car and they're dominating the sport right now in the way that they are. Yeah, I think the Mercedes case was just a point that obviously this team's had such success over the last 10 or so years or whatever it's been. Like, they they probably had such... I think they just had too much belief that that car could be unlocked. Like, the potential of that car and the way it was designed could be unlocked. And, like, they probably may have took Hamilton's fingers on board, but maybe they were, like... They just wanted to have another run at their their original idea. Like, I think as soon as that didn't work, like, that obviously makes Hamilton look very good because he wanted a completely different car. But say if it had worked, like Mercedes would have been feeling pretty smug if they'd actually managed to make the car work. And yeah, you're right with Red Bull. Like they obviously listen to Max quite a lot. Like what he says, like more so than they do with Perez, I guess. Like they're obviously going to build a car to their stronger driver. And that's sort of why it's, why it's so, worked so well. But yeah, I think there's just different cases. I think it, it really depends on like the seniority of the driver, like how willingness they are to talk about these kind of things. Like, just going down the grid, I can't imagine like Yuki Tsunoda is going to sort of slate the AlphaTauri team in the press, is he? He's going to do it behind the scenes, really. Whereas someone like Hamilton can probably get away with it a bit more. But yeah, I think that Mercedes one was a bit of a unique example, just because I think that team believed they could get something out of their car, and ultimately they gave up when they realised that's not the case. Well, I mean, we know Yuki Tsunoda does all of his talking on the team radio, really. So uh, what's the press release going to do with him, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's there'd be a few uh, swear words if he was giving car car um, updates from inside the, inside the car. Yeah, um, I mean, in, in terms of uh, one other aspect of Ferrari, I suppose that we haven't quite addressed is this narrow working window that we've heard a lot about with Ferrari, where you know when everything is going perfectly and it's ideal racing conditions and perfect for the car, it's the second fastest car on the grid. And, you know, the, the lap time delta or, you know, whichever figures you want to trust do tend to suggest that that is the case with Ferrari. But very rarely have we ever been in that position over the course of a weekend where Ferrari is currently operating within that narrow operating window. And 
you know, Ferrari acknowledged this. They brought some significant upgrades in Barcelona and Austria to try and address this architectural problem to try and widen the range of that working window, not necessarily making the car ultimately faster. In my opinion, I don't necessarily think that that's really worked. I still think Ferrari have this benign issue. Um, I mean, what is your opinion? Do you think Ferrari have made progress in that or are we still seeing them struggle in that regard? Yeah, I think it's minimal progress if they have made it. I think it just goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I think this car like has inherent problems and like this inability to make it work consistently is definitely one of them. And I think that's something that's not going to be fixed overnight. Like that's probably going to be something that's not going to be fixed till 2024 now. Like I think there's just something about this car. Obviously, like I don't have access to exactly what it, what how it's built and stuff like that. But like there's just something about this car that makes it very temperamental. Like both drivers have struggled really and they're not they're not the only team to find that i think the mercedes drivers have both said like it's quite a difficult car to like get into the right window and make sure it's good and like i think yeah there's like i think just for it like have hit this brick wall and like they've sort of given up like i mean how many races we got left there's not a huge amount like what's the point in them working on an upgrade now to try and make it a bit more better like it's the difference between p3 and p2 like they'd probably rather focus on next year and make sure it's 100% correct from there. So, yeah, I agree with you that they haven't made a huge amount of progress on that, and I, I can't imagine they will do before the end of this season. Well, that's the line that Vasseur has been putting out. You know, Ferrari have been trying to tinker with this and make this work as best as it can. Persistence, I think, is the word he often uses with this particular concept. But it's only been recently, I think, where Ferrari have finally come out with any line of clear communication. In Zanvo, I think it was, um, Enrico Cardile, he was talking about the 2024 car and what Ferrari were hoping to achieve with this. Um, I imagine you would have been there to pick up on that, obviously, you know, going to that race and obviously reporting on that, Sam. Um, what what detail did you pick up from Enrico Cardile uh, during that press conference when he was talking about the 2024 car? What, what do we know about it so far? Not a huge amount. He was quite cards close to his chest. Really. I think the, the thing he highlighted was that there is going to be quite different, like very different between this year. And I think layout, I think he used the term layout, like to describe sort of what they're doing differently. But yeah, Obviously, they're not going to tell us exactly what they're doing. But yeah, I think you can expect quite a wildly different car this um, for the coming season. I think naturally, you probably start to think it's going to look a bit more like Red Bulls because obviously that's been doing so well that the grid's all going to start trying to copy it, really. But like we mentioned sort of we came up before we came on air, like it's you can sort of copy one part of the Red Bull car, but that doesn't mean it's going to be as successful as the actual car. Like all of that car is linked up to the other. So yes, when the floor was revealed in Monaco, like teams could have seen that, but they don't know how that relates to the other parts of the car. So like, even if you copied that, there's no guarantee that that's going to be your car is going to be as good as the Red Bull one. So yeah, I think Ferrari have got to sort of avoid that temptation to copy that Red Bull car too much. Like obviously you can sort of take some of the obvious examples of what's, what, what works well, but like you're not going to catch Red Bull just by copying them. Like, at the same time you're working on your car, they're trying to improve their already quite very good car. Like you have to sort of be a bit more original and like try and work through your own problems, sort of maybe find your own way of being successful. Cause that's the only way you're going to beat someone like Red Bull is sort of outplay them and sort of find something they haven't found, which, which is a hard task when Adrian knew he's at the head, but like for, I obviously believe they can do that. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Enrico Cardile, that was something that, from what I'd read, that they had focused on. They did mention, of course, as you've already said, that, 
you know, it's it, architecturally, it's going to be quite similar to the RB19 or what they imagine the RB20 will become in that regard. But they will try to outdo Red Bull with those core concepts. And that sounds fine in a press conference or as an ambition. That's exactly what I think Ferrari should be shooting for, in my opinion. The question remains, you know, with all the architectural changes that we've seen from Aston Martin and Mercedes and and McLaren as well, that has shot it up the pecking order, but not enough to compete with Red Bull and outright beat them, of course. The concern will be, these architectural changes that Ferrari proposed, will they be able to maximise what they can achieve with the floor? Because... Anyone that knows anything about F1 cars, especially the ground effect cars, will know that majority of your downforce and performance will come from how efficiently and how well you can work the downforce through the floor. And that comes from the architectural changes and the design of the car. And that's what Ferrari will be hoping for. And I think in a way, that's kind of what Red Bull have leapt to when other teams like Aston Martin were talking about upgrades in the past where they were going to beat Red Bull with or Red Bull were responding to concerns with their own floor when we saw it in all its glory at the Monaco Grand Prix and they were saying, well, there's no point copying it because we would have improved it by then. Um, so you're still going to be behind us. For me, whilst it all sounds well and good, I'm not necessarily confident that Ferrari can understand uh, at this point the floor to such a degree where they can produce one which will complement these architectural changes for 2024, which will then in turn put them on par with Red Bull, whatever they produce come 2024 at least. Yeah, I think you're right to like to come to that assessment. I think it is going to be have to be a big leap to. I mean, it's a very hard task to sort of make a brand new car and have everything match up well, like. I sort of think we all expect there could be a rough ride to begin with. Maybe the floor doesn't link up well with the with the chassis as such. But like we were saying earlier, like the data at Maranello perhaps doesn't relate to what they're seeing on track. Like that's only going to be a problem again if that's the case next year. Like they might create this perfect car in the wind tunnel and then when they get to the track, like it doesn't work as well. So yeah, I think the yes, you can separate parts of a car off, but like they all work in tandem. Like I think that's why Red Bull weren't too bothered, like you mentioned about their floor being shown. It's like, yeah, copy if you want, but like you don't know how that relates to other parts of the car. And by the time you finish copying, like we've made it better. So it's like I mentioned in the previous question, like they've got to be a bit more original. They've got to avoid that temptation. They've got to sort of find their own way of being good. And like, yes, that might mean not a great start or that might mean a few stumbles next year, but like at least you know your ceiling is going to be higher because you're going to have to have a higher ceiling than Red Bull to catch up. Like that's just the way it is. Like you can't rely on being marginally better every year because Red Bull will do the same, if not more. So yeah, like I think Ferrari have got to be a bit bold and it sounds like they are. So like I hope for their sake that it works, but I mean, we'll see after maybe even as soon as testing next year or maybe after the first few races. Well, that'll be the final reveal to see where Ferrari stack up in that regard. But of course, it's one thing to understand a rival's strengths and, you know, base those elements on your car to try and improve it. It's a totally different thing altogether to understand why your car is weak in certain aspects. And and in fairness, I think until Monza, where I think we did get a little bit of that um, going Ferrari's way, I can't really say with any great conviction that Ferrari totally understands why their car is underperforming in the manner that it is. Yeah, me neither. I think you're right. Like we've we've mentioned it that they just don't have a full grasp of like why their car's not great. I think I mean, remember before preseason, like there was so much talk about how this Ferrari is like a second quicker. Like everyone's really excited, and now like the mood is completely different because they realise that everyone else improved much better. So yeah, I think 
it's probably doubly frustrating that their car's slow, but also the fact they don't understand it is, is sort of the basic element of building an F1 car. And I think that is obviously an element they need to improve on and fix for next year if they have any chance of sort of being better than Red Bull and the rest. Exactly. And of course, you know, that's not paying attention to any changes anyone else is going to make. It's all relative at this point. And I think that really caught Ferrari out the most, the fact that their relative gains was actually quite poor compared to a lot of their competition. And that's why they've gone from a potential championship contender, or at the very least, a solid P2, to, you know, being right in that ballpark where they've only just got ahead of Aston Martin. And I think that's an important point as well to sort of measure Ferrari season by contrast to a team that made those changes and only now Ferrari have actually caught up to them. I mean, in in your opinion, Sam, you know, Ferrari have got two drivers right now in Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. In my opinion, the second strongest driver lineup on the grid behind George Russell and Sir Lewis Hamilton. And with that, compared to what Aston Martin have had, even though Aston Martin started the season with a, a superior car to, in certain aspects, and Ferrari have caught them in that regard and probably overtaken them as well, only now Ferrari have overtaken Aston Martin in the Drivers' Championship. And I think in a way, this has kind of been even more impressive on Aston Martin's part by the fact that they've only really ever had one driver contributing. I mean, Fernando Alonso has been absolutely brilliant this season. It all ends up six podiums for the team, many other impressive performances as well, still dragging out results in a car that is slowly becoming less and less impressive as the season drags on. But Lance Stroll has only scored, what, three points in the last five races? I mean, this is as much as a one-driver team as we've seen this season, even more so than Max Verstappen at Red Bull, for example, in my opinion. You take all of that into consideration it really does show how far Ferrari have fallen, relatively speaking, that they've only now gotten ahead of them into P3 in this Constructors' Championship. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it does show that gap was huge at the start of the year. And, Ast- and Ferrari, I don't, sorry, Aston Martin made the most of it. Like, Alonso just scored podium after podium. And, like, they built up such a lead that, yes, it's taken Ferrari a long time to catch up. Like, Ferrari still aren't getting the kind of performance that Aston Martin are. Like, they get a podium like once every five or so races. Like it's not a consistency that Aston Martin had. And like you're right to highlight how good Alonso's been. Like a lot of people say that Verstappen has won this championship on his own, like kind of thing. But it's not like you said, it's nothing compared to Alonso. He's absolutely dragged this team up from P seven where they were last year to wherever they are on the table now. And like you said, like if his name wasn't the same as the team owners, there'd probably be a lot more pressure on Lance Stroll and like the fact he's not delivering in this car, whereas Alonso keeps doing it. So like at least Ferrari can say that we've got two competent drivers, like like at least as we saw in the weekend, like Sainz was on the podium. It's not always Leclerc doing it. So that's one thing going for them. But yeah, again, it just sort of highlights how far behind they were. I mean, it, it does two things. It highlights how far behind Ferrari, Ferrari were at the start of the season, but it also highlights how good Aston Martin were and how consistent they were to get that many podiums in a row and build up such a gap that it took even Mercedes a while to catch up with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you want to add a third thing that it highlights is the fact that Ferrari have not been able to optimise the opportunities that have been given to them. Of course, you know, there have been a few races this season. I think Canada's a prime example where Ferrari, the car was pretty good and they managed the strategy really well, but they handled the conditions so poorly where they easily would have been on the podium if it wasn't for the fact that they had to come from the very back of the field and, and do what they had to do. And and that's kind of the point, because this season, even though Aston Martin have, by and large, been a one-driver team with Fernando Alonso, and then let's be honest, it's a very, very good driver as well, even when they're in a position of strength, 
Ferrari, it shouldn't have taken Ferrari this long to catch them and then overtake them in the championship. And and I'll be honest, look, Aston Martin fans listening right now, I think they probably agree at this point in time, it's more likely that Ferrari are going to finish ahead of Aston Martin than not at this point in time. Of course, things could change, but at the moment, when you've got two solid drivers in Leclerc and Sainz and, and only one really good driver in Fernando Alonso, let's be honest right now, picking up points, you're always going to back the team with the two drivers rather than the one. And that's something we've seen with Mercedes this year with Russell and Hamilton, who have optimised their opportunities a lot better than Ferrari have. Why they've um, been ahead of them ever since uh, Barcelona, probably as early as that, if, if memory serves. So it, it does paint a picture on how this season has gone at Ferrari, where it's not necessarily just been the car, but so many different elements of the team, even as far as their drivers are concerned. Although I will admit, I don't think their drivers have been anywhere near the biggest issue right now. Um, but it has shown that there are certainly many areas for Ferrari to improve outside of just the car. Yeah, like I think there's parts of all their operation, like it was strategy last year, which I don't think there's been such a huge problem this year, but maybe because they're not in race winning positions, like their strategy blunders don't make a bigger bigger headline. I remember in Zanville, obviously they had that issue with the ties at the start of the, uh, start of the race where they just weren't ready. But I think in fairness to the strategist, I think that was more Leclerc's late decision to pit. But yeah, like it's not a well-run operation. Like in comparison to the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes, where it seems like everyone's firing on all, on, all, on, on all cylinders, like there's definitely parts of the Ferrari team which you think need a bit of a shake-up, need a bit of optimization. And whether, I mean, Fred's only been in the job, what, how many months now? Like eight or nine? Like he's not been in it a long time. He's, it's a, he needs a bit more time to sort of shape it into the into the into a winning machine if he can do that yeah absolutely right um but of course you know remains to be seen as i said there is some light at the end of the tunnel with this new car with ferrari i think monza showed that they were able to understand their weaknesses a little bit better because of the specific upgrades they bought for that circuit although you know tire wear was still a bit of a problem for them but um you know so there is some progress there but of course ferrari are going to need to make a little bit more than track specific progress um, and be consistent more all round and obviously be, have a faster car at hand in order to challenge Red Bull next season. So I have to wait and see how that works for them. Um, a, a quick note on the drivers, of course, before we uh, sign off for this episode, Sam. Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc both have had their opinions on this car. We talked a lot about Sainz. Charles Leclerc has mentioned how he still tries to commit to the corners as he has done in the past. But uh, the car is very unpredictable in that in one lap it will go in there and it will be absolutely nailed on and it will bite into the track and it will go like a dream. And then another occasion will do the same thing and he ends up spinning backwards into the wall. I mean, Charles Leclerc is, is no stranger to pushing a car to its limits. Sometimes beyond that, we saw in Miami earlier this season, Charles Leclerc uh, had that famous um, shunt in qualifying where he overpushed the car a little bit. But then, of course, on another lap at another time, he might have absolutely nailed it and put the car on the front row of the grid. So... How have you assessed the two drivers this season, um, in your opinion? Oh, it's a tricky one. Um, I think both have probably been quite frustrated where they find themselves, like in terms of the car. Like, I think Leclerc by now would have wanted to be consistently challenging for race wins. And I think the fact that he's only a few months separated in age from, from Verstappen, who's already a two-time world champion and about to be a third-time world champion, that's probably very frustrating for him. Like, He's always very said he's very committed to Ferrari and I can't imagine him leaving anytime soon. But like there must be a frustration that he's got. I can't remember how many wins he's got, but it's not a huge amount compared to like the other drivers around him. Like and for signs, I think, yeah, I think again it's just been a frustrating year. I think it's good that he got on the podium this um last race, but 
he yeah he probably wants to be challenging up for the podium consistently more than he is kind of thing i think both have done enough to sort of get a contract deal i think Ferrari have sort of made it clear they're going to focus on Leclerc first, which makes sense. And then sort of once his deal's done, then maybe look at Carlos and sort of get a deal done for him as well. I think both should probably be signed up by the end of this season, I, I expect. But as for going forward, like you've got to, you've got questions really. Like, do Ferrari stick with signs and does Leclerc stick with Ferrari? Like that's something probably going to be discussed in a few seasons time but yeah for now at least i think both drivers just i can imagine they just want the season to be over and sort of go back to how they were at the start of last year hopefully next year they can do that but yeah i think frustration would probably be the the main word i would use to describe both drivers this year yeah i think this year in particular the car and other aspects have shown strengths and weaknesses of both drivers alike but of course we want the car to exacerbate those strengths and mitigate those weaknesses so i think we can only hold them accountable so much in that regard but they are identifying the problems uh, whether or not the team are listening to that and, and taking that feedback on and putting that together into creating a better car for them going forward remains to be seen of course we'll have to wait and see in terms of the contract situation um, I think we'll start with Carlos Sainz because that's probably the easier one to sort of discuss. Right now, there's always been rumours about Carlos Sainz potentially being a drive on Audi's radar when they come into the sport. Effectively, this is going to be the de facto Sauber team, but obviously with a huge upgrade with Audi very much involved in this. And in my opinion, Sam, whilst that might seem like a viable option where Sainz could have that team built around him and, and go with that in the way that Leclerc has done with Ferrari for many years now... I still can't help but feel that Carlos is angling for a long-term deal with Ferrari. Ultimately, that's what he wants. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is it smart for Carlos perhaps to sort of delay this decision and hope for a long-term deal? Or is there a potential threat right now that if he doesn't sign a new shorter-term deal soon, there could be an emergence of someone else that Ferrari may decide to pick up and then that seat may no longer be an option for him? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, he's not going to get like the local Leclerc length of contract. I think, what was it? He signed like four or five years. Like, that's just not going to happen. Like there's no reason to do that. Like I think, I think obviously they're both contracted till the end of next year. And I think for, for signs and for Fry as well, like, I think it would make sense to give him another year. And like, obviously that would take him up to the, I'll get lost in time. Yeah. So it'd be end of 25 season, obviously Audi coming the season afterwards. And I think that's probably a good idea for him to do. I think there there is a lot of interest from the Audi side on Signs, and I can see the appeal being someone like Signs, like he's never led a team before. Like maybe at McLaren, he was obviously the better of the two drivers at the time over over Norris. But I think even then, McLaren sort of saw Norris as a future team leader. Like if he went to Audi, then then he would become like the number one driver, which is something he hasn't had in his career. And I think you just have to look at Bottas and like how much he's enjoyed being the number one driver alpha. Like he's just a lot more freedom. It's probably a lot more enjoyable to be a driver like that. And maybe that project is very exciting for him. And like, we can't forget that Audi, someone like Audi is not going to come in the sport just to sort of come P ninth in the championship every year. Like they obviously want to try and win championships eventually. And like, if they're, if they're after science, like I can sort of see all the benefits for him of, of going there. And I think the only sticking point would be, the fact it's Ferrari and like they seem to have this hold over their drivers just because it's Ferrari and like obviously the legacy that comes with it and the respect that comes with it and like obviously driving the Italian Grand Prix is probably the best best day out for a Ferrari driver in all the season but I can see a lot of positives to for signs moving to Audi and I wouldn't be hugely surprised if he stayed at Ferrari until then. 
Yeah, I mean, f- for the short term, it does seem to be that both both drivers in this regard, one thing they have in common is that they recognise that where they currently are right now, for all different reasons, is probably the best place for them to be. Now, of course, for Leclerc, we've heard rumours that he's prepared to sign a long-term deal. And quite frankly, Ferrari will probably offer him a lifetime contract if one was possible for him to sign. They obviously acknowledge how important he is to the team. But uh, in Carlos's case, it is... In my mind, I think he wants more of that stability that I don't think he's ever been given at Ferrari. Um, and, and to be honest, I don't see no reason why not, quite frankly. I think he has shown that um, he's a very solid driver and I think Ferrari would be weaker without him than for him. I don't exactly think there's a... I mean, there are a few drivers that come to mind, but I don't necessarily feel that they'd be happy playing the same role that Carlos Sainz currently is at Ferrari. Carlos himself is probably not even happy playing that role to a certain extent. Um, so, of course, you do have to look at your realistic options. When it comes to Charles Leclerc, of course, as I mentioned already, Ferrari would offer him a lifetime contract if they could. Um, and, you know, from what I've heard, he might not necessarily be a miss from signing, that sort of thing. That being said, I think this kind of comes in the short term from a place where the grass isn't really greener anywhere else. I mean, if we look at Red Bull right now, I would love to see a scenario where Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen were up against each other. And I'm sure any driver in the world would back them, or any driver of that caliber would back themselves against Max Verstappen in that team. But I think realistically, they know the, the situation they'd be getting into. So I don't really feel that being a viable option for him. Um, Mercedes, of course, the, the inn is full. Now, we've got the new contracts for Russell and Hamilton up until the end of 2025, so I don't see that being a realistic option for Declare at all. Maybe in the future, but not necessarily today. And then you just have to start looking at other options like McLaren, Aston Martin, for example, Audi at a push, but again, that's a lot of things we'd have to consider to be realised um, if that was ever going to be a realistic option. So what about, what's your opinion, Sam? Because I, I, I've kind of spelled it out there. I just feel that right now, Realistically speaking, Ferrari is the only viable option for someone like Charles Leclerc um, for all of those reasons I've just listed. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Like Red Bull aren't going to bring him in because they're a very much a team that wants a number one driver. They've been like that pretty much since Vettel, really. Like they're not going to get Leclerc in if it has any chance of upsetting Verstappen. I don't think it would do, but like why take that risk when you can easily get someone like Perez who can sort of just do a good job most weekends and get you the points you need. Mercedes, like you said, they've got drivers signed up now till 2025. That's uh, 2026, in fact, like the end of 2025. Like that's not going to happen either. And then you'd have to say that all the other teams are definitely a step down. Like McLaren obviously look good, but like they haven't won a championship since since uh, Hamilton, have they? Since for a long time. And like they haven't come close to winning another one since then. Aston Martin, yes, they look good. But again, that's a big risk. And like, why would you leave Ferrari for that? Audi... Yeah, they could be good, but they're not going to be good instantly. Like, yes, I think it'd be good for Sainz to move there, but I think Leclerc, again, that'd be a step down. And like Alpine step down kind of thing. Like everyone everyone else is a step down other than the two teams that have won the championship most recently. And both those look quite full or wouldn't take Leclerc for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, Ferrari is easily the third best option if you had to pick at any team on the grid but realistically speaking it's probably the best option that's available to him in the next few years I mean you could argue a case for McLaren but I, I think that that depends on what happens with Lando Norris and of course how far Oscar Piastri rises in the next few years of course because he's impressed so far this season and 
It also depends on how far McLaren go. You know, they've made some real impressive gains this season, but there's no guarantee that they're going to sustain that or make more gains. It's it's almost more likely that they're going to stabilise where they are at the moment, where everyone else makes more tangible progress ahead of them just in the short term. Aston Martin, in my opinion, is probably the only realistic option that he could take for 2026 going forward. But even then... That's a big gamble, and that depends on a lot of factors. Will Aston Martin make enough progress over the next couple of years to convince Leclerc to think, you know what, this could actually be worth my while. This could be the move that I make that wins me a world championship in the same way that Hamilton, when he went to Mercedes, you know, I think you could argue that there is a similar level there or in terms of the move. There are some consistencies there. Um, so that's why, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, Hamilton went to Mercedes when Rosberg was there and he and he did what he did there. It's not really the same. It's more Aston Martin than Mercedes right now. So at a push, I think Aston Martin is somewhat viable. But if it were me and I was Charles Leclerc right now, I, you know, Ferrari shirt aside, for those of you watching this on YouTube, it's an easy decision for me. But if I was Charles Leclerc, I probably just would sign that long term Ferrari deal. And at the very least, try and put some clauses in there to try and give me the opportunity to go elsewhere in the short term if things don't work out with Scuderia. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Ferrari is probably the best option for him for all those reasons. Like, And, and the fact that Leclerc is obviously, he likes being a Ferrari driver. Like He's said that before, Like he wants to stay with the team. So yeah, I think the most realistic situation is he stays I, for the foreseeable future at least until that Mercedes deal ends with um, Hamilton and maybe that's another choice of um conversation but like for now yeah i think he's gonna stay put at ferrari yeah very much so so uh we'll have to see how things go hopefully fingers crossed uh ferrari will improve i think everyone can agree a better ferrari is always good for formula one i think the italian grand prix a lot of people were quite happy to see ferrari in the mix albeit with that uh, obvious caveat that it was inevitable that Red Bull were going to get them in the end. But nonetheless, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. But um, Sam, I think we've overrun just a little bit, so I think we'll wrap it up there if that's okay. Um, obviously, for the benefit of our listeners and audience that may have just heard from you from the first time on the show, where can they find you for more great content and articles from yourself? Yeah, so I write for planetf1.com and then on Twitter or X, whatever it's called these days, I'm Sam Creeper underscore. So yeah, you can sort of see what I tweet. It's mostly, I, I'm not the kind of person who tweets my personal stuff. So if you don't care about that, good good news for you. Um, I don't do that. So yeah, like that's where you can find me. It's more um, David Ornstein rather than Fabrizio Romano on the football inside. Like you don't just tweet for the sake of tweeting. Every time you put something out, it's like an exclusive or a Sam Cooper. Yeah, yeah. I'm not someone who uses social media like that much. I would say look at it, but like they like said, I tend to put, if it's something I think is interesting, I'll put it up rather than I've just had a bagel or whatever it is. <laughs> some people do. Linked with a £5 million move to Chelsea, but there we go, I digress. <laughs> I think any football fans listening to this will know the reference I've made there between Ornstein and Fabrizio, of course. Not disrespect, they're both brilliant journalists at what they do, but uh, yeah, just to scale your input on social media of course um but guys of course we'll leave uh, links to sam's social media and of course the planet f1 as well some great content he writes for they're really really good stuff but until then guys we'll be back with our preview for the singapore grand prix fortunately of course no cost cap talk will be required uh, in terms of that controversy so i'm glad we've managed to put that one to bed but until then guys thanks for tuning in as always please stay safe And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care.
Social Podcast Network.